0: to podcasts recorded live at the center for spiritual living in portland oregon listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us welcome everyone happy sunday so glad you're joining us today this month we're using zen in the age of anxiety for our inspiration tim burkett and uh, gosh, uh, when I picked this book almost a year ago, who knew that we might in, be in the midst of one of the most anxious times on the planet? Right? This last few weeks, we've talked about a variety of different ways, different sources of anxiety in our life, and i got to tell you, they're up for all of us. The first week, we covered the idea of anxiety around just believing that we're not worthy, that the, the good life is going to elude us because of who and what we are. Then the following week, talked about using our negative past events as though they might predict our future in terms of it being negative, and we learned how our brain is apt to spin a negative story based on uh, selected incidents from our past rather than looking forward to the future and of course the the resolution to both of those really is that knowledge itself is curative just knowing that our brain will tend to catastrophize just knowing that the way that the the world works will tend to make us picture things on the negative side is helpful then then we can know wait a minute is this true or is this just the way that my brain is picturing it right now maybe i need to seek out a greater truth that's really the thesis that we're going to be talking about today the idea of getting more information but beyond the information beyond knowledge really what do i do with it how do i turn information into wisdom something that really is useful in my life rather than just data floating around Back to the idea of anxiety a moment, though, one of the other anxieties that Tim Burkett talks about in the book that's really up for us right in this present moment is the anxiety that comes from not knowing what's going to happen next. Is there anything more fundamental than just worry, just anxiety around not knowing what tomorrow will bring? I remember uh, I was on a vacation with my mom, oh gosh, it's probably about 20 years ago. Of course, you don't know my mom, so I I suppose I need to explain a little bit about who she was. Uh, I I think those of you who know me, though, know there is a little bit of the control freak in me. And I got to tell you, uh, my mom is where I got it from. She liked to know what everything was going to be. She had her life planned out in a lot of detail. And I remember one year we decided we were just going to go on vacation together and just kick back and not do anything in particular. Well on about day three of that (laughs) vacation, I was walking by, uh, we had like a nice two bedroom condo kind of thing and I'm walking by her bedroom door and I hear my mom crying. I don't remember ever (laughs) hearing my mom cry. And so I knock on the door and what's wrong? Well, I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think we're all in that place right now. We just don't know what we're supposed to be doing. The world is in such great turmoil that the the possibilities for things going wrong or the unknown is up in, in such a degree. Uh, we're aware that there's a climate change, but what can I do about it? We're aware of uh, systemic racism, but what can I do about it? What's going to be the resolution of it? Of course, the COVID-19 epidemic, you know, how do these things resolve? Do they resolve? And, and will my life ever be back to normal? Well, well, first of all, of course, we got to talk about that a little bit. Do we really want life back to being just the way it was 18 months ago. I mean, some people might say this is a grand opportunity for improvement, that as we come out of the other side of some of these issues, the world will be a better place, and I will be more secure. I will know more about what I need to do to keep myself safe, to to keep my friends safe, to keep the world safe, and, and, and so on, That this that this has a purpose. This isn't just an open-ended mess unfolding. But gosh, right now, doesn't it feel like it's an open-ended mess unfolding, right? That's that anxiety, literally, of not knowing what's going to happen. What happens next? Perfectly wonderful vacation that my mom and I were in Hawaii. She's crying in the bedroom because she wanted a plan. She wanted to know how it was going to turn out. I wish I could offer that to you, right? Now what mom and I did, we sat down at the table in the condo and okay mom, Tuesday we'll go to the quilt museum and went, right? And she took great comfort in that. I would be lying if I said we could sit down at the table in the condo and lay out the next year of our lives. It is unknown. We're even now talking about whether for September uh, we ought to close the sanctuary again and honor those people who are perhaps a little fearful about attending events in public and go back to being 100% virtual. We, we know that as times change, we have to be ready to move with those changes. So what I do want to talk about, though, today is this idea of information as opposed to true wisdom. The idea of going from knowledge, going from just what we can read about and see about into a more inner wisdom for us. And of course, you know me, I managed to find a joke that that kind, kind of, well, you be the judge, I guess. So since he was a child, a man had been terrified of something that might be hiding under his bed. It was so bad that even thinking about going to sleep would bring up waves of anxiety. Well, after many years, he finally decided to go to a psychiatrist, hoping for some kind of release. You have somnophobia, the psychiatrist told him. Now, if you're committed to learning more about the problem, I think we can make some progress. Come to see me three times a week for a year. We'll discuss where this fear comes from, how to process it, ultimately the wisdom to get through it. Well, the man asked how much each session would cost and then told the psychiatrist that he would think about it. Well, a few months later, the man ran into the psychiatrist at the supermarket. How have you been? asked the psychiatrist. Have you decided on getting some help with your somnophobia, your fear of that something under the bed? Oh, I'm all over that, said the man, but your suggestion was going to take too long and it was way more money than I could afford. Well, then how did you get over it? asked the psychiatrist. I just cut the legs off the bed. And please, I'm not at all, I'm not at all dissuading people from proper mental health care. Believe me, it truly is just a joke, and I've been in therapy myself. So please know this isn't degrading therapists out there. But did you see the difference between just awareness, the information, and what we can do about a thing? So, right now, we're actually flooded with information. If you want to know about COVID-19, if you want to know about racial injustice in America, if you want to know about global warming, there is more information out there on any number of subjects that are up for us that are producing anxiety right now than you can imagine. You could spend your life, literally, well, in fact, you don't have to seek it out, right? Just, just turn on the the radio. Just turn on the television set. Just look at your your main page for news on uh, uh, on social media. Right, the information is pouring in. Some of it of perhaps questionable value. Right, I, I have to do my own fact checking from time to time when I see something that's either too good or too bad to believe. Well, it's probably because it is too good or too bad to believe. Right, but. Is that helpful see that's the real question is information is knowledge helpful well sometimes it is sometimes just knowing about a thing actually is helpful just knowing that I'm wired actually wired from early stages of human history to be anxious To be able to react quickly to a flight or fight kind of situation, just even knowing that my brain was programmed for that, actually is a little bit helpful, isn't it? Then when a wave of anxiety comes over me or a wave of anger, I I go, wait a minute, Larry, the reason you're feeling like your life is in danger is because you're wired that way, but just take a breath. It's not the reality of this situation. Your boss on the other end of the phone isn't really going to eat you, right? The the tense situation with a, a friend of yours or an in-law, it isn't really going to cause death or or some kind of a, a mayhem to incur. It just feels that way. And sometimes that knowledge alone is curative. I can sit, I can count to ten. I can do what I need to do to allow the feeling just to pass through and then I'll allow my more sensible nature to come forward. Okay, all right, I need to talk through this. I don't need to fight through this. <laughs> I just need to work on this issue. I don't need to run from it, right? We can, we can observe our own uh, chemistry at work uh, and then we can do something about it but I wish things were that easy. So often the information, the knowledge that's coming at us isn't as cut and dried as that, right? We have thousands and thousands of decisions that we make every day that we would like to think are leading us in a positive direction. I'm going to become more safe in order to, to work through this pandemic. I'm going to become more loving in order to meet this issue that I'm having with a friend. And, and it's that feeling of, am I up for this? Do I know what I'm doing? That, again, that feeling of what comes next that still brings up that anxiety. And so how do we go from knowledge then into wisdom? Well, we're reading Zen in the age of anxiety. And I gotta tell you, Zen Buddhism has an interesting take on this called non-attachment. If you think back to the issue that I had with my own mom on vacation, mom's trouble was yes not knowing what we were going to do but it was really heightened by the fact that she had a big attachment to knowing it wasn't just so much well we were going to go to the beach today or whether we were going to go to the quilt museum she had a real big attachment into knowing and that's often the source of our anxiety around not knowing the future. It's like, oh my gosh, I wanna know. I wanna make plans. I wanna I, I wanna wrestle down the idea of the future and know I can make it be true. And the trouble is, especially for those of you who might be a little tendency towards control freakness, which I have to raise my hand at least part way. I mean, I do want to know. I just want to know. (laughs) We have to be able to release that. In LaRonda's song today, when she was singing about that idea of surrendering into the present moment, that is that Buddhist idea of non-attachment. Now, sometimes this idea of non-attachment is awkward, right? Because we're used to, well, some of us are used to the idea of attachment disorders. And if we don't have an attachment, especially to other people and uh, to society, well, gosh, that's a a recipe for disaster. But that's not what the Buddhists are talking about. It's not that we become uh, unattached from the people that we love. In fact, quite the opposite Oftentimes this idea of non-attachment to outcomes gives us more time to be with in a meaningful way the people that are important to us. The things and ideas that we're becoming unattached to are desired outcomes, not people. So we remain attached to the people, but we become unattached to that particular outcomes. And in particular when it relates to people, right? So often we think we actually know better how other people ought to live their lives. (laughs) Have you noticed that kind of going around? If there's a real pandemic right now, that might be it, right? We all have an opinion uh, around vaccination. If you're on one side, you know that the other side is wrong. Uh, Around global warming, right? People have different ideas about how we might attack this problem, or even if there is a problem. And of course, your position is the correct position. Gosh darn it. And uh, you know, here in Portland, oh my gosh, I was just reading the other day about uh, the the number of people without places to stay at night, other than uh, than encampments, and and the different warring opinions on how I mean, literally warring opinions on what we ought to do about it. Every everything from round them up and you know put them on buses and send them out of town to elaborate plans of housing and whatnot, and and each side pretending that they had the answer, and only the answer. These are the kind of attachments that actually, if we want to work through these kinds of issues on either a personal level or a societal issue, we have to be willing to surrender our attachment to different ideas. Have you ever thought about being attached to an idea? You know, I I looked this up last night, and I couldn't find out who originally said it. But there's this question that I've heard asked, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Have you heard that one before? If someone actually knows the source of that, seek me out later because I would love to know who I'm quoting. Uh, but, But the question would be, do you want to be right? Meaning, are you so attached to your particular opinion that you are willing to give up? Being happy, being with your friends, fitting into society, coming to a broader picture. Because I think that's what we're seeing right now. People are digging their heels in on particular issues with that, that I'm right, gosh darn it, and I'm not going to give up this opinion. And they're stating it uh, as though it were slightly more than opinion, too. Have you noticed that? Suddenly it's gone from an opinion to, no, no, no 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 you don't understand this is the answer this is what you should this is what everybody should do and when we have that strong of attachment to a certain idea a certain outcome it really spells misery and and guess who the misery falls more on people can tune us out (laughs) i'm sure you've noticed that the real misery then is right here When I become so attached to an idea or an opinion or an outcome, it's just misery for me. My mom was attached to just knowing every little detail of what was gonna happen on that vacation, and there she was in tears. Wasn't bothering me anyway. (laughs) I was just gonna kick back. I brought some books to read. I thought we'd hang out at the beach, go out for some meals, right? The person that was suffering was her, because of her attachment to knowing, her attachment to control. So I wanna ask you, are you willing to give up your need to know the answer? Perhaps never before in human history as a species are we being asked to give up our attachment to knowing exactly what needs to be done right in this moment and it's bugging the hell out of us. It perhaps is the largest source of anxiety on the planet right now. I want to know what's gonna happen next, where I fit in, what I can count on, and I am here to tell you the most unpleasant news on the planet, and that is that it is out of your control. (laughs) It's out of my control, and I have to somehow Be at peace with that. If I want the anxiety level to come down, I have to be okay with a number of things. I have to be okay with ambiguity. It's not certain right now the best way, even on a personal level, to combat global warming. It's just not certain right now. I have some ideas. And we could share them. Then we're back in uh, the idea of knowledge as opposed to wisdom. But the wisdom here is that we don't know the official answer for solving this problem. And because of that, I have to be open to changing the way I think about things. I have to be open to the idea that maybe all electric isn't the best answer. Even though right now they're kind of saying it is, could change. I have to be open to the idea that uh, uh, throwaway plastics are just a bad idea for the planet and that I will be up to doing something about reducing my consumption of those single-use plastic wraps and whatnot. That's our best knowledge right now, but it could change like that. And I have to be okay with that. So how are you feeling about this? Are you willing to say who else here might like a certain amount of control in their lives? Yeah, I didn't think I was alone. I didn't think it was just me and mom. (laughs) So what can we do? Well, the first thing I would suggest is, first of all, notice when you in particular are presenting an opinion as though it were more than opinion. Because that's a really good sign that you have a strong attachment to a particular outcome and you will probably end up being made miserable by it. So when you make a pronouncement, when you state your idea, are you stating it as though this is the way it ought to be and one day you'll all wake up to that (laughs) and do what I say? Or are you saying, it? well, here's what I think, here's my opinion. And in fact, although I do have some official homework this week, which we're going to get to in just a minute, that is worth approaching right there as homework. Are you stating your opinions as though they were facts? Because if you are, right there is the evidence that you've got some pretty strong attachments that are going to bring you trouble. The other thing, though, that we can do around this idea of, uh, of attachment is really acceptance. The idea of not being in resistance to what's coming to you. So when something happens, when you read about something in the newspaper, when you hear about the trouble in Afghanistan, what is your response to that? Is it to immediately start affixing blame? Is it immediately to go outside of yourself and try to to notice how wrong things are? Or is it to accept, not that things are working the way you would want them to work, but is it in your heart just to accept this as information without the resistance to it, without your opinions coming to fruition? So that's the other place where we get to examine what's going on in our heads. So the two places I think for noticing an over-attachment is one, your response to information coming in, right? That's the knowledge piece that we have to translate into wisdom. And then the second piece, of course, is when it then bounces back out, is my opinion sounding an awful lot like what I think is an fact instead? Okay, well, to summarize today, anxiety around the unknown is caused by our attachment to ideas and outcomes. When we feel out of control, we become anxious. When we don't know what's gonna happen, we become anxious. But being out of control is actually natural. It's what's going on in the world right now. We can't be in control of it. There is so much that is up for grabs that is actually to our benefit to be okay to accept the ambiguity that's going on. Not to be fixated on wanting an answer. Rather, pay attention to the process. Pay attention to the information that's coming in. Can I turn that into something that I can take positive action on? And if not, just let it go. Just breathe into it. It's not what you would wish, but being anxious is not going to help you finally the idea that we can be open to newness without being afraid can you be open to newness without being afraid i think we can i think if we notice it again it's that that issue of noticing at first the the gut reaction to newness might be "Ah," but we allow that emotion to be there right this is the unknown My life is full of unknowns. Why would I make the assumption that the unknown will be negative? Instead, can I open my heart to see it as a positive? I'm urging you all actually to come next week. Next week is what I call one of the Good News Sundays. I'm going to astound you with all of the amazing things that are going right with the world right now. And so I want to invite you in particular to be here next week. Next week we're going to be talking about just accepting the world as it is and the idea of reversing anxiety by seeking out its opposite, by seeking out all of the wonderful things going on in the world. So you're going to want to be here for that. I do have official homework for you. This one's out of the book. You know this month uh, we've been doing homework out of the book, and he has a lovely exercise, I think, for this idea of non-attachment. He says, spend 15 minutes reflecting on a difficult relationship. So think of a relationship that you're in the midst of where there's some difficulty, some perhaps communication issues, whatever it might be. And whatever story you're telling yourself about it, create an opposite story. So let's say maybe a loved one you're having some real difficulties over. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe you're vaccinated and they're not, or or the reverse, <laughs> or or maybe uh, someone that you love is is not being very safe in the world, and you you think that they would be better served if they were behaving differently. Whatever that awkward relationship right now notice the story that you have this person just isn't behaving properly they're they're behaving foolishly they're spending their money unwisely whatever the story you have and the homework is to lose your attachment to that story and just make up a different story literally Make up a story that's the opposite. Tell yourself, no, she's actually spending her money wisely, and I, I really appreciate my sister for her wisdom in her accounting ability. Make up the opposite story and just spend 15 minutes thinking about this relationship from that opposite perspective. Now, you might be saying, well, well but Larry, but that's not true. <laughs> Right? She really is being an idiot, and I get that. And I'm not saying that you have to change your opinion, but I think this will help pose it as an opinion. Do you get where I'm going with this? So spend 15, that's your homework, easy homework, 15 minutes, look at a relationship that's in trouble, tell yourself the story, and then reverse the story. Spend 15 minutes thinking about this story from the opposite perspective. All right, well, I'm going to close with a prayer today. And again, uh, please come next week. I think we're going to have some fun as we wrap up this particular series, in "In the Age of Anxiety. So let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love, only this one thing. Of course, it's made up of millions of things. Every person, every place, everything, every situation is part of this one thing that I call Spirit or God. I know that means me. I'm not exempt. I'm right in the middle of it. And God's love is my love. God's wisdom is my wisdom. God's abundance and peace and joy are all mine to have and to use. And as it is true for me, it is true for everyone. Everyone is a a consciousness right in the center of that larger consciousness that is spirit. Each one of us has access to the keys to the kingdom, the ability to be and to do our, our heart's desire, it is for us to experience the good in the universe. And as we learn to put aside our fears, as we al- learn to process through our anxieties, I know that knowledge turns into wisdom, that we're able to navigate through all the facts and figures out there and come to a place of wisdom within ourselves that allows us to be content, that allows us to feel powerful. And I'm grateful for this. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community wherever you are on your spiritual journey you are most welcome at the center for spiritual living